thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on FlowCombat.com, and we've got another awesome episode lined up for you guys today. Today, we're going to be talking to Lance Palmer, fresh off of his million-dollar win on Professional Fighters League, and he's going to talk to us a little bit about the first thing he did with this money, which you're not going to expect. Uh, we're also talking to Save Saud, the head coach of Fortis MMA, who recently got his team to 2-0 in 2019 with two big wins in Brooklyn, and we'll be counting down the top five most interesting divisions for 2019. But before we do any of that, we want to first let you know that this episode is brought to you by ADK Fightwear. Go to adkfightwear.com for rash guards, geese, spats, and all kinds of other great BJJ and MMA gear that is both high quality and low cost. This stuff is super high quality. I have a couple different of the rash guards. I got both the arm bars and stripes in the new Too Sweet NWO inspired rash guard of Sportnet at Jiu Jitsu last night. And let me tell you something no matter how many times you use these things, how many times you wash them, how much wear and tear they get, they don't get any wear and tear. They look as fresh as the day you got them. You're going to want to check them out. ADKFightwear.com. Be sure to use promo code TURTLE. That's T-U-R-T-L-E. You're going to get 20% off your whole order there, which is going to get you rash guards for as low as 20 bucks. It's going to get you spats for like 25 bucks. You can get some really cheap, but also high quality geese. You're going to want to check them all out. ADKFightwear.com. ADK Fightwear brings you this episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. Daniel Gumby bringing them with Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com and today I have the pleasure of speaking to the PFL's first featherweight champion and brand new millionaire, Lance Palmer. Lance, I know it's only been a couple of weeks since you won the big prize, you won the championship, uh, but what has it been like? Has it dawned on you yet that you won a million dollars in a prize fight? Uh, yeah, it's pretty cool, but... um. I mean, literally, when I got back home, I got right back to work because I own a plow business back in Ohio, and uh, we just had a big snowstorm this weekend. So it's it's really cool. I don't even know if it has sunk in yet about the actual amount of money that I earned, but, um, I mean, it just feels good to have the belt and be the inaugural champ. I'm the only former World Series of Fighting champ who won the PFL tournament so far, so that's uh that's a pretty cool honor on top of anything else so that that's interesting to me too because you know you you hear a lot from from some of these people who win large sums of money and instantly uh change the way they live you went right back to work uh for a job that was not fighting yeah i mean i i'm 50 percent owner in the other company that i own in ohio so um you know i guess the saying is money never sleeps so a million dollars is a decent amount of money, but not in 2019. So you got to keep working. I mean, anybody that says that you can retire or live off of that the rest of your life, they're probably living on minimum wage money. That, that's very true. So, uh, you know, I do have to ask, if, <laughs> you know, before we move on past the money thing, was there something you did with the money uh, excitedly as soon as it, as soon as you got it? Um. Well, the wire just came through last Friday after the drug test came back, so I haven't done anything with it, really. I probably uh, I just went to Red Robin with one of my buddies and got a couple beers right now. That's about it so far out of that account. 
<laughs> well, that's certainly not the splurge I was looking for, but a, a Red Robin beer seems uh, just as good of any way to celebrate it. So let, let's talk about the PFL, because it, it's certainly an exciting new concept. It definitely worked out for you, but you fought five times in, in 2018. And if you go back to, uh, you know, the November of 2017, you fought six times in what was like 13 or 14 months. Is your body exhausted? Do you feel broken down? Not really. I um, I actually feel this was one of the best years for me as far as performance, I feel, because I was able to be active the whole year. Obviously, um, five, you know, six fights in 13 months is the most I've ever fought in my whole career in that time period. Uh, five in uh, about seven months is the most I've ever fought in my career. But when it came down to it, it was, uh, you know, my body was always in shape throughout the season. I didn't take too much damage throughout the season. So I was able to do that. But it is nice to have these next couple months off of actual fight camp, even though I'll still be training, to kind of let my body heal up and let myself eat regularly, let myself just enjoy life, be able to have a few drinks here and there, be able to focus on my home life be able to hang out with my wife because I do my fight camps in Vegas. So when I'm in Vegas, she's still in Ohio working full time. And we don't, we didn't barely spent any of this year together. Yeah. So that's obviously probably one of the tougher parts of it, but judging by the way you're talking about it now, I I have to assume with the new season of uh, PFL starting out, it looks like in early May, judging by their calendar, it, it looks like you're planning on going through this again. No. Yeah, that's part of the contract. Uh, when you win the season, you uh, it's mandatory to be in the second se- or the next season of it. So that was always my plan was to win the first one and do the second one. So um, I mean, I'm excited for season two, obviously, because you start with a fresh slate. So nobody's the champ going into season two, um, and that's how wrestling was my entire life. You win a state title. You go into the next year just as, you know, a previous state champ. You're not the reigning or anything else. You go right back into it. You have to earn your spot. You have to earn your ranking before the tournament. So I like the format of it. And uh, obviously PFL is, they're doing something that nobody else is doing or has done. And the payout is something that nobody else is doing. So it's, it's a great format. And it's something that I appreciate because I've been with them since, they were World Series of Fighting. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and now, I, you mentioned something in there that was interesting to me, that, you know, if you win the first season, you're automatically signed up for the second season. That's part of the contract. Is there any limit to the amount of times that rolls over? Because, I mean, you could conceivably, you're, you're a young guy. You're only in your early 30s here. You're the, you could win this three or four or five times in a row here. Is there any point where you can say that's enough for me? Well, yeah, I mean, you could retire at any time. Sean O'Connell won mm-hmm. at light heavyweight, and he decided to retire this year. So, I mean, they can't they can't force you not to retire. So, um, I think it's only a one year. I think it's only a one year mandatory. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I don't know what you would call it for the for the contract, but when you win, you automatically go into the second the second year of it after you win, and I think that's it. So. I'm not sure how that goes. I haven't thought that much into this season coming up as far as like winning it and then moving on. But 
as long as the money's good and as long as I'm happy, I'm fine with being in PFL. And I know other organizations aren't able to pay that much and aren't willing to pay that much. So a guy like me, this is exactly where I need to be. Absolutely. So, and I, I was going to ask you too. So you said for a guy like me, this is exactly where you want to be. Obviously it's a unique structure. Like you said, it's grueling. It forces you to do tons of training camp. Is this something that you would suggest to other teammates? Do you do you think that you would look at some of the other guys and say that this is something you should try as well? Um, honestly, I'm just used to it because of my wrestling background, being being able to compete often and being able to showcase my skills. I feel like the more you get to fight, the better you're going to be in the long run because you get to build off each fight and you get that momentum. And you also get to build off of the technique and keep growing as a fighter. When you're just in the gym every day and you're only fighting two or three times a year, you're not really you're not really growing as much as you grow when you fight as often as I fought this year. So this was the first time in my pro MMA career where I've fought that many times in one year. And honestly, it was the best I've ever felt and the best that the most I've ever learned and grown over one one year. So. I don't know if I would recommend it to everyone because not everybody's built for a lot of competing like that. And obviously not a lot of people are built for the wrestling grind. And I think that's partially what it takes to be able to make it through a full season like that. Well, absolutely. And you certainly did have enough to make it through a whole season. So we wish you the best in your time off, which we know you're going to enjoy as much as possible hopefully a couple more trips to red robin as well as maybe somewhere more exotic once again this was lance palmer pfl's first featherweight champion and brand new millionaire lance we thank you so much for the time thanks man i appreciate it good talking to you this is daniel gumby Vreeland with top turtle mma on flowcombat.com and today we have the pleasure of speaking to save saud Owner and operator, head coach of Fortis MMA, which is one of the fastest growing teams out there in MMA. Uh, Say, I, I want to start by talking about your night in Brooklyn because your team went two and zero. Tell me a little bit about how you're feeling uh, the week afterwards. Well, uh, I mean, we're feeling good. You know, anytime that you can win in the UFC, uh, you've got to celebrate that. It's not easy. They're the best athletes in the world at what they do. Uh, I think that Jeff. Um, performed really well uh, against a very tough Bilal. Uh, and I thought that Alonzo executed his game plan very well, too. And that being his debut, we were really happy to, for him to get his feet wet and, and you know, and get the finish. So uh, we were really happy with the weekend. Absolutely. And so, you know, it, it, I wanted to ask, with two fighters fighting on the same card, which you really haven't had too much of in the UFC so far, is it tougher or easier to, to be cornering multiple guys at the same time? Well, I got I got to correct you. You're wrong. We had we actually had three guys on a card twice last year. Three different guys on a card in Dallas. Three different guys on a card in Austin. And there's another one that we had. This is like our third or fourth show with multiple fighters on in the last year. So uh, it's you know it's twofold really. It's the the good part is you have more of the team there, right? Because we can bring another guy, another two guys to corner. So we can get the partner work going, and and with the warm ups, we've kind of we've done this a lot in LFA too, because we always have four or five plus guys on the LFA card. We're, we kind of we've kind of gotten pretty good at it. The difference, obviously, is with TV and the variables there, and, and trying to get the guys all lined up and warmed up properly. It does take a little bit of work, but we've we've actually had quite a bit of practice at it. So 
just a quick shirt change and we make a plan beforehand and uh, we just try to execute the plan. And, and uh, you know, you bring up a good point because the warm-up is really crucial. I mean, it really, really is an important aspect of uh, getting the fighter ready for that fight. You mess that warm-up up, it doesn't matter how good the, the cut was, the camp was. If you don't time that whole thing properly, it can be catastrophic. So uh, it's something that we practice quite a bit at. And is there something about, too, the, the timing, especially of televised cards, ESPN being, you know, doing it for the first time? Was it particularly tough this time or, or just kind of similar to the way it was on no, any of the no, other shows? No, it, no, it was, uh, you know, obviously trying to pick up the nuances on how they were going to do it. But, no, it was great, man. I mean, there, I can't say enough about the production team and, and then also just about everybody in the UFC, you know, Roger and Matt and then these guys that, and they make it so easy and seamless. Like these guys are there. I see them, you know, once a month, twice a month, and they've been doing their job for so long. They're really on point, and so easy to communicate with. And and the show ran smooth, man. And uh, and I thought the ESPN touch was was awesome. And I think the future is really really bright. And we're really excited. Yeah, the future is certainly bright. Now, I, I want to talk a little bit about the past before we move on to the future, because you did correct me there. You had plenty of cards in 2018. We had multiple <laughs> fighters. Yeah, yeah. You, you, And it was a huge year for you guys. Uh, looking back, you know, by yeah. my count, I've got an 11-3 record for you guys in the UFC with yeah. three bonuses. And, I mean, outside the UFC, too, obviously a huge year. What sort of helped you guys turn the corner from a team that always had a lot of potential to one that has now a lot of wins on the biggest stage and some would say are realizing that potential. Well, you know, I think that just like any other story, when you start to have some success, there's always a history behind it. You know, we've been grinding, you know, hard uh, for years. And uh, uh, when I opened this gym, I had a good core group of guys, uh, you know, Jeff, all these guys have been with me for years, you know, uh, just waiting for their opportunity, grinding, you know, Jeff, Jeff moved, to Dallas and didn't fight for over a year, almost a year and a half, had no fights, came to practice every day, never missed, was never, you know, and, and those are the things that when I see Jeff winning now and, and you know, and uh, realizing his potential and becoming ranked and all those other things, I just think about those times, you know, and, and all the, all, it's all the times that people don't do, right? So I just think the timing is, is uh is great you know when we opened the new gym and kind of everything just kind of hit at once so uh yeah you know it's always fantastic when you can see your athletes succeed and and see them start to get that notoriety and that love because they all work so hard man i mean everybody that's one thing i can say about our gym i mean there's there there's no slack there's no breaks that's just not what we do there so each one of these guys and girls they really deserve all the accolades that that uh that they're getting and you know, we just got to keep going. And, and I'm glad you mentioned the accolades, too, because I was going to ask you if you saw that Jeff was now ranked number 14 in the welterweight division, which is yeah. pretty damn impressive to, to get yeah, into the yeah. ranking so quickly. For three, uh, for three fights. Yeah, for only three fights. It, and, and obviously, if you saw it, I was going to ask you, is that something you guys pay close attention to, or is it just kind of like a, a nice little pat on the back uh, and, and allows you to call out better people? No, absolutely. Uh, you know, I told uh, I told guys that if they didn't have a number next to their name uh, by the end of 2019, that they had failed, that their 2019 campaign was a failure. I literally said that uh, two weeks ago in front of everybody, all the athletes in the UFC, all ten of them. I said, if you if you don't have a number next to your name by the end of 2019, you failed. That's your goal. 
So Jeff obviously had a little momentum coming in, but, you know, we took a hard fight with Bilal. He's a very tough, tough, uh, tough opponent. Zero quit in him, as you saw. And we knew it was going to be tough. And, uh, uh, you know, he came in with a four-fight win streak. He beat Randy Brown. He beat Tim Meade. He beat Jordan Meade. These, these are tough guys. So I was really happy with it. I thought he would end up somewhere between maybe 16 and 20. So the fact that he got, that he's number 14 is, is, is really exciting. So I want to go back to what you said there a second ago, too. You said you said to all of the fighters that you have currently in the UFC that if they That's don't right. have a number, that it's a, the year is a failure? That's exactly right. Now, and the guys that are debuting, and they might not be able to get there as fast, but, you know, Alonzo and some of these other guys, they're 205 or so. You know, the heavier divisions, it doesn't take as many fights. That's just the truth. Mm-hmm. And we got what Macy Chasson is going to make her debut at 135. Uh, where I think is where she really belongs, and I think that you know I, I'm I'm hoping to see her crack the rankings, and I think she she could be a contender and make waves in that division with her size. And uh, we've got you know Ryan Spann also already has a win at 205, and Carlos Diego Ferreira's on a three-fight win streak, going in a fight with Sam Hollywood and Frog. So uh, these guys are all you know they're they're in position, you know, and. Uh, and, and that's that's the standard we're going to set, uh, no matter what. And the, to the guys that are making their debuts or whatever, okay, maybe it'll take them a year and a half or whatever. But you've got to keep track of the, of the metrics because the UFC does, the fans do. You can't ignore it. I mean, it, it's not something that, you know, should be your number one indicator and driver. I mean, your number one indicator should be to train hard and to win your fight, right? But it's something we definitely have to pay attention to. And, and uh, you know, statistics are useful, man, and, uh, and numbers matter. So, yeah, that's, that's that's definitely something that we're that we're looking to do. So you mentioned in there too, you got a bunch of guys about to make their debuts, or who have just barely made their debuts, and I know a lot of them uh, were signed off of the Contender Series, and, and we got a chance to get almost like a little sneak preview to them. To what do you credit the fact that you got so many fighters who got an opportunity on that show? I think the I think the greatest thing about the contender is that fight is almost harder than the UFC fight. And I, and I said this before, that's a one round fight. You know, I mean, we train so hard for those contender fights because if you go in there, if it goes out of the first round, the chances of you getting picked go down significantly. I mean, that's just the truth. You got to go in there to kill, and you got to go in there and impress. So I think that the everybody going the contender route which is the longer way, right? You got to go in the contender, you got to win, and then you got to get picked, and then you got to wait, and then you make your debut. Uh, and the contender fights are all the other toughest people that are, have been in the UFC or about to be in the UFC, so it's not easy. I mean, it, some of those fights are harder than debut UFC fights. I mean, a contender really is something else. And uh, we built, we built a, a lot of people in from the contender, Jeff, Span, Alonzo, I mean, uh, Charles. But I think that the the network that we've had using LFA and legacy and now the contender, it just lets me know the guys are really ready. You know, we've won six LFA belts, legacy belts, and those aren't easy to get either. So I almost, you know, prefer that people take the hard road and uh, get that experience under their belt, fighting in front of Dana and Nick and Sean and that small venue. Uh, It can be nerve wracking. So uh, it's been good for us. And the fact that it gets the guys exposure and when they make their debut, they just seem to be a little bit sharper because they kind of went through and jumped through a few extra hoops. So it's worked out really well for us. Yeah, absolutely. And I I do want to touch just quickly on something you said in there too. Is that a type of fight that you feel like you train differently for? You, You said it's a one round fight. Do you, do you prep them in a different way than you prep them for a UFC fight? 
yeah, I mean, you know, take the fight with Bilal and Jeff. I mean, that, that was a war, you know. Uh, and Jeff dominated the fight, but Bilal was so tough, you know. He had zero quit in him, and he kept coming back. And, you know, and, and that's what you're going to get when you get a top 15 guy. Well, in the contender, the guy that you're fighting is in, even in the UFC. So you can't help the, the matchmakers are looking at this fight and saying, if you can't finish this guy, how are you going to finish someone in the UFC? You know, I mean, that's just the truth. And it makes sense, you know, logically it flows. So when we go into to the contender fights, you know, we're training. You have to go super aggressive in that first round, and you've got to try to get the finish. And I wouldn't say that we train too differently, but the mindset is one of in the situationals and the drilling and the rounds that we do where it is definitely emphasized. And it needs to be emphasized because that's just the reality, right? Whatever game you're playing, you got to look at the rules and you've got to apply them. Well, in the UFC, you're trying to win a three-round fight. In the contender, you're kind of trying to win a, a one-round fight. Um, so it is a little bit different. But, uh, again, you know, being under that kind of duress for them, I think it's been good for them. I think it's just made them sharper. Well, and the, the results certainly show. Now, I wanted to ask you, with this year coming up, you know, you said you get a couple of fighters already ready for their debut. Is there a couple of guys on the roster that the, the fans should be looking for to either make a contender series appearance this year or maybe jump right to the big leagues that, you know, maybe uh, they may not have heard about before? Well, you know, we got we got a plethora of guys. You know, Miles Johns is this one, the uh, LFA belt. Um, he's 8-0. Uh, it's fought a real tough. I mean, you look at his win-loss opponent record. Damon Jackson, who had a stint in the UFC, uh, has has had one of the most amazing comebacks I've ever seen. You know, he went oh, uh, one and one in the UFC. This kind of a funky deal. He took a last minute fight against Jimmy Medeiros and lost that, um, and then uh, lost the fight that was a no contest, and then had a draw. And so since then, you know, he went back, won the L- a second LFA belt, and uh, ha- has won six six out of his last seven. He's sixteen and two. And he has 15 finishes. So we're looking to get him uh, him going as well. And then um, I've got a bunch of other guys, man, that are knocking on the door that are really, really tough. But, you know, with already double-digit athletes in the UFC now, we're not in a rush, you know. Um, you don't want to rush and get there too soon. You really want to be ready because there's just no easy fights. So you, you, whatever happens with these guys, um, whether they fight on the contender or whether they get called up for the last-minute fight, uh, I'm pretty confident that they're going to be ready to go because they've had this long process and they've been battle tested. So, um, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll see whatever happens. We don't, there's nobody that takes time off. The, the structure of the gym, the structure um, of the team practices are, they're mandatory. I mean, there, it, this isn't an option. And if, you, if, if that doesn't work for you, there's a lot of other teams and gyms that you can go to, but ours won't be one of them. I mean, that's just, we have a system we have a program and, you know, either part of the program or you're not a part of the program. So all these guys are ready. They're always in striking distance uh, weight-wise and whatever opportunities present themselves, we'll work on. We also have Abdul uh, Kareem Salwadi won the Brave title. Mm-hmm. He's 10-1. He, he just beat Lucas uh, Martins in the first round. And the guy's in 19-3, and so, or 20-3. and three. So these, I'm trying to test these guys as much as I can. Uh, outside the UFC so they can so they can just, just dive right in that water and start swimming. And I think it's been working. Um, I think it's it's a formula that's worked. You know, for a guy like Jeff to take on a guy as tough as Bilal on his third UFC fight, um, it shows that he was ready. You know, he was ready when he got put in, and that's important to us. 
And so I was going to end this interview by, by asking you, you know, if there is something you felt like your team does particularly well or sort of what was your secret without giving away too much. Now, you obviously hinted at the fact that, you know, like nobody gives, a, you know, an easy day. And you hinted at a little bit of making sure that they were tested out outside. But is there another, you know, maybe not so secret secret about what you feel that your team does better than anybody else? I mean, I've been saying this the last few weeks and uh, I mean, it comes down to accountability, man. I mean, uh, there's, there's no, there's no lies in that gym. You're going to get found out under the lights, uh, and that's going to, there's nowhere to run. So we we are really straightforward and and very, very honest with each other, uh, in our assessments. And I think the reality is, and as cliche as it sounds, it's that hard work and that grind time that these guys are putting in these guys and girls. We don't take days off. We don't have breaks. Uh, it doesn't matter. I always tell people, it doesn't matter what you got going on. You've got a commitment and a responsibility. You know, uh, you talk to anybody else who has a job, they don't take days off. They don't take weeks off when they don't feel well. They don't do their job when they feel like it and then go, oh, I don't feel like doing my job for a little while. And that approach just doesn't work in today's MMA. You know, I mean, you got to be ready for whatever opportunity comes calling. And so many great athletes and so many great teams and, and great camps out there, I mean, there's uh, always someone, you know, ready to take your spot and ready for the next uh, opportunity. So if you're not going to be the one to fill it, someone else will step up and take it. So I tell everybody, you, you literally always have to be ready. And to always be ready, that means you always have to train. It means your weight always has to be on point. That means your techniques have to be tight. That means you've got to be balanced. That means that you can't have any drama. you got to be ready to do your job. So I think that we approach this um, – just like any other business, it's a profession. It's these guys' profession, and and uh, and they need to, to to handle it as such, and they need to make sure that that all the things that they need to do to win are are getting done. And 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 then we're just we hold people accountable, and the team holds each other accountable. Uh, if someone misses the practice or you know takes take a few days off, there's not going to be a lot of friendly faces for them when they come back. And honestly, that kind of behavior is just not tolerated. They just get kicked out. And, and I tell people that all the time. Uh, so I think that uh, that you have to respect the system and respect what is expected of you. And I think that when nobody puts themselves above the system and everybody buys in to that accountability, then that's the formula for success. And I kind of think that that's really – and, I mean, that's, you know, like I said, super cliche, right? Hard work and accountability and, and, uh, and showing up. But that's really what I think it is. So. Well, whether or not it's cliche, it certainly is working. The proof's in the pudding. Um, and, and, and we really appreciate you taking the time for us, Safe, because, uh, you know, obviously you're, you're a very busy man. Um, once again, this is Safe Saud, owner and head coach of Fortis MMA, one of the fastest-growing teams at MMA. Safe, once again, we thank you so much for the time. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. And those two interviews were bo- brought to you by Sheath Underwear. Look, Underwear's changed a little bit in the years, and I know it doesn't feel like it, but you're probably used to going to exercise and having one of two options, boxers or briefs. You wear boxers and all of your stuff flops all over the place. You wind up super uncomfortable by the end of it. Or you can wear briefs and everything is super restricted but protected and supported, and and you wind up super sweaty and super uncomfortable. Everything's crushed down. Now you have a new option. You have sheath underwear. Go to sheathunderwear.com. Check out what I'm talking about. They have an innovative front pouch 
that allows you to feel both supported and cool because they it promotes airflow so that your downstairs mix-up does not get overheated. So you can feel supported and cool at the same time. Go to sheathunderwear.com. While you're there, be sure to use promo code FLOW, that's F-L-O, and get yourself 20% off your whole order. Now, let's get to the show. So I am Daniel Gumby Vreeland, here with my co-host, Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, we talked to Lance Palmer, and we talked to Save Saud. Let's start by talking about Saud. What do you think of his coaching mentality? I really like what he was saying about accountability the fact that he'll kick someone off the team for bad attendance, the fact that they peer pressure each other into being there all the time. I love it. I love everything I heard, and it's obviously paying off. Uh, you know, 2-0 and already this year in the UFC with picking up two wins in Brooklyn, 11-3 and last year. I'm very impressed. We got a new... We got a new hot coach on the block here. Yeah, I, I love it. And on top of that, too, I loved what he talked about as far as, like, game planning for Contender Series, too, that they game plan for a one-round fight because if it makes it into the second, he feels like you're not going to get a contract, which is, you know, somewhat true if you watch the Contender Series. And, hey, that's why he got, like, three or four guys signed off the Contender Series last year alone. Yeah, speaking of Contender Series, let's talk a little bit about this past weekend at UFC Brooklyn because – one of the more famous names <laughs> to pass through Contender Series made his debut, uh, the very controversial Greg Hardy, and it almost had to be expected. Of course, his fight ended in controversy. We're days removed here. I think everyone knows the story, but an illegal knee uh, ended the fight. W- what did you make of the whole controversy? Look, I don't think this is all that hot of a take, but I'm going to give you my you know ice-cold take then. Uh I think he did it on purpose. I think he was looking for a way out. Uh, Because if you look at that fight, the dude has put everybody away, amateur and pro career alike. He's put everybody away in two and a half minutes or less. He goes out in the first round, throws his big haymakers, lands a couple of them, and doesn't put the guy out because the guy is a wily veteran. He rolls with punches well. And when he fights veterans, he's not going to knock people out. Then he gets taken down. He gets walloped on. He gets put in a bunch of bad positions. Then in the second round, he's so noticeably exhausted that the dude is taunting him and asking him to punch him in the face. Hardy was notably frustrated, definitely knew he didn't have the knockout power to put this guy away after a round of throwing haymakers after haymakers. He was looking for a way to not lose a decision or not tire out to the point where he got finished, and his only way out was an illegal knee. And I think he saw that opportunity, he weighed it, and then he took it. Yeah, I agree completely. I think the taunting uh, from Alan Crowder really set him off. And I I don't think it's coincidence that the guy was doing Nick Diaz impressions, uh, talking shit mid-fight, and then he got an illegal knee to the head a minute later from an inexperienced fighter. And like you said, a guy who's probably winded, feeling a little out of his element, and just wanted out of there. Uh, as far as the main event goes, of course, TJ Dillashaw uh, getting TKO'd against Henry Cejudo. I myself... Uh, when I think back to such epic fights as Frankie Edgar and Gray Maynard, would have liked to see TJ get at least another 10 seconds. You know, he was in the middle of a takedown. Uh, I do understand there might have been a flash knockout there, but the bottom line is I'm not going to cry about it. I'd like to see them rematch at 135. Cejudo saving the flyweight division, asking WWE's Nikki Bella out on a date. Uh <laughs> Two days later, she responded this guy to that. Did the, you see that? 
Yeah, I did. I did. Gee, I mean, hey, that'd be hilarious. And if it, it leads to the eventual Henry Cejudo, John Cena main event at WrestleMania, <laughs> I'm all in. But uh, what do you make of what happens to the flyweight division from here? So, look, I, first of all, I agree with you 100%. And I think the stoppage was justified, but it doesn't mean I don't wish it went a little longer. You know, like I, I think where he stopped it was a completely legitimate place to stop it. And at the same time, I wish it went longer. Um, as far as where the flyweight division goes for now, my worry is that they give a bantamweight title shot to Henry Cejudo and there's no reason to keep the division anymore. Look, the only reason to keep the division was that the champ wasn't the champ of 135, right? If TJ Dillashaw was the champ of 135 and 25, you killed 25. Who's to say if Cejudo goes up and wins 35, the same fucking thing is not true. So, like, why why would I want to see Cejudo go up if I want the flyweights to save? Why would Cejudo want to go up if he was trying to save the flyweights, right? He goes up and wins. They're just going to be like, stay up there, defend against all of the extra challengers we have up here, and make that happen. With that being said, I, I, I would miss the flyweight division because I think right now we've actually got a couple of interesting contenders. Joseph Benavidez versus Henry Cejudo is kind of a fun fight. Davidson Figueroa versus Henry Cejudo, should Davidson Figueroa beat Juicy A. Formiga, is kind of a fun fight. On top of that, too, not that I don't want to see Cejudo challenge for the 35-pound belt, but don't they have other good challengers up there? Fuck. Dominic Cruz is still up there. Marlon Marias is up there. Rafael Asuncao is up there. Like, why, why are we not pressing for those? So, I, I don't know. I, I guess I'm just a little bit taxed on the super fight. I don't need to see this rematch right away. And I actually think it would hurt the flyweight division if they did it. Yeah, I you just laid out so many good points, and I can't necessarily disagree with them at face value, but I don't care if the flyweight division gets saved. Yeah. I am not looking forward to any matchups. I'd rather see Cejudo up at 135. Cejudo versus Dominic Cruz? I'd watch that. Oh, I, oh my God. I would watch the oh fuck my, out of that. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. So I'd rather see Cejudo at 135, but listen. Uh, whether the flyweight division is dead or not, time will tell. The 135-pound division is alive and well, yeah, and it is. got us thinking, what is the most exciting division right now? Uh, we asked our fans on Twitter, at Top Turtle MMA. We got one uh, very, I, I guess you could say, majority <laughs> opinion answer, and we'll get to that. Uh, but we also got some other interesting answers, and it's not an easy has to break down what the top five divisions in the UFC are right now. So that's our combat countdown for the week. We're going to bring that to you right now. Again, this is based off feedback from Twitter. Uh, Gumby, does any fine company sponsor this combat countdown? As always, the combat countdown is brought to you by CSU Mouthguards. Head to SISUGuard.com for the only mouthguard you can talk, breathe, and drink all with the mouthguard up in your mouth. If you have a CSU Mouthguard, you already know what I'm talking about. If you don't, Go check them out because if you do jiu-jitsu or any other combat sport, you're used to having to reach in your mouth, pull out your mouth guard so that you can talk to your coach, your training partners, or whatever. And in the meantime, you're getting all of those germs that are on that mat all over your mouth guard. But with the Sisu guard, you can leave it right in there. You can have a conversation. You can have a little bit of water. And then you can go right back to training without getting it all gunky from the mats. So I suggest head to SISUGuard.com and pick up one today. I train multiple times per week. You will never catch me at my gym without a CSU mouth guard. Heck, I have a CSU mouth guard in my mouth right now as we tape this podcast, just in case I hit my head or my or my mouth. So, with that said, let's go. Let's start with number five, Gumby. What is the top of the top five divisions 
in the UFC right now, what's leading off our list at number five? Number five is Bantamweight, 135. The reason I picked put Bantamweight at, at five is right now it's a really exciting spot to be with TJ Dillashaw recently coming off that loss. I mean, you've got him at the top of the division with Henry Cejudo as a question mark for the division. Meanwhile, you've got that, you know, proclaimed number one contenders bout between Marlon Marias and Rafael Asuncao. And you also have like, you know, obviously Dominic Cruz waiting in the wings. But you also have, like, a bunch of, like, young, fun fighters. You know, Peter Jan just made it into the uh, the the rankings. I think he's number 13 or 14. It's an exciting prospect from Russia. You have younger guys, too, like Aljamain Sterling. Aljamain Sterling's been fighting in the UFC for some time now, but he's by far not old. Um, and he seems to be having some sort of resurgence with his submission win over Cody Stamen. So there's a lot of fun, young, up-and-comers. It's probably not as deep as some of the other divisions. And, you know, there's not like an imminent title fight uh, that appears to be exciting, which probably bumps it down the list a little bit. But Bantamweight is a fun place to be right now. Yeah, there's so many good uh, fighters at Bantamweight. And if it becomes the lightest weight in the UFC, the lightest weight class, I should say, uh, you know, it's a loaded weight class. Yeah, I mean, it's well, just way more loaded than 125 ever was. Yeah, and if you just eliminate 125 too, you got to remember you're going to add people like Ray Borg, Davidson Figueroa, Jose Formiga, and yeah, they're all going to be going up 10 pounds, but at least those three would be fairly intriguing at 35. Let's go to number four then. What do we got? What did the Twitter uh, fan base say? So at number four, we put in women's strawweight. Uh, I really like women's strawweight right now. The title fight coming up is a banger between Rose Namajunas and Jessica Andrade down in Brazil. That's certainly really fun. But you also have a lot of fun contenders waiting in the wings too. You know, Tatiana Suarez, you've got to imagine, is knocking on that door. She's like one win away from a title fight. Nina Ansaroff, uh, the the wife of of uh, Champ Champ, is slowly made her case to be a top contender. You got Mackenzie Dern, who everybody's interested in how she's going to progress or whether she's ever going to make weight again. And meanwhile, you got Tisha Torres, who, by the way, has a win over Rose Namajunas, fighting an unranked fighter in Welly Zhang. But Welly Zhang, a lot of people are high on it. Really, in a year or so, you might see her fighting for the title. So... I think Strawway has got a lot of potential there. We've got a lot of fun new matchups. And, you know, you're also, you can count on the fact that Yoanian Jacek's probably going to make an appearance down there again soon. Is Mackenzie Dern, I thought she had committed to flyweight. Is she... Ah, she just recently came out saying she is definitely staying at 115. Um, she got some All help, right. I guess, in her diet from the Performance Institute. She's she's pretty sure she's got everything in check. So I think we're at least going to see one more attempt at 115. Uh, should that fail, I, I imagine we'll see her up. Well, one of the other exciting things about Strawway to me, whereas like, uh, let's say at 135, Nunes feels so dominant right now, just going up and beating Cyborg, which is kind of another story unto itself with the champ leaving a division, which I never really love. But at 115, I don't feel like Rose is a dominant killer, and I love Thug Rose, don't get me wrong. But I feel like there are a lot of matchups from the top five, even top ten, where you say to yourself, oh, this person could beat Rose. Yeah, and I, I that think, makes I for think an Andrade exciting might division. go in as a favorite, to be honest with you. When, when those odds come out, I, I expect Jessica Andrade to be at least close to even money, if not a betting favorite. 
There you go. So we'll move then to number three. What do we got? Uh, I'm going to go with middleweight. While I don't love the title fight that's about to happen, you know, personally, I think Robert Whitaker is going to be far too much for Calvin Gastelum uh, down under next month. Um, the, after that, the the division is just so fucking exciting. You got uh, Israel Adesanya about to fight Anderson Silva. It was just announced before taping that headlining UFC on ESPN3 in Miami is going to be Paulo Costa versus Yoel Romero, which is just a musclehead's freaking dream. Plus, you have people, like, kind of quietly in the top 15, like uh, Antonio Carlos Jr., shoe face, has won four or five in a row at this point, which are, is pretty damn impressive. That division is quietly very, very exciting. And that's not even to mention people like Jacare or Chris Weidman, who are always at the top, you know. Um, it looks like they're going to lose Luke Rockhold. But apart from that, that division is deep. It's got a bunch of young fighters. And again, like you said before, this doesn't feel like a division that has like a crazy dominant champ. No, not at all. And I mean, style bender is really all you need to say. He makes that whole division just feel exciting, fresh, and electric. We'll move then to number two. What do we got? Uh, number two, I'm going to go with Featherweight. Uh, Max Holloway does seem like that dominant champion that we're all chomping at the bit to see. But there's just so many exciting matchups still out there for him. You know, like he's three fights into his title reign, right? Uh, four if you count the, the interim win over Anthony Pettis. But Anthony Pettis, Aldo Aldo Ortega means that there are still tons of fighters for him to fight before this division is completely cleaned out. You got Alexander Volkanovsky, who just finished Chad Mendez. You got Zabit Magomed Sharapov, who's exciting. It looks like Hanato Moicano is fighting Jose Aldo next and is a favorite. You got Mirsad Bektik, who is undefeated unless you count that one loss to uh, Darren Elkins by fluke last second knockout. And Frankie Edgar still hasn't fought Max Holloway. So even if Max Holloway winds up being the dominant champion, some people think he could be in this division. If we spend 2019 watching him fight three of those guys, you know, like if he fought Frankie, Volkanovski, and Zabit, fuck, sign me up. I would want to catch every single one of those those fights. Yeah, I think this is the case where, like, what's Zabit? Where is he ranked? He's in he's 10 to 15 14. range. Yeah, 14. So Zabit to me is, you know, I would pay to watch him fight Max tomorrow. Yeah. It might be a touch early for him. I wouldn't mind early 2020 for Zabit, late 2019 after one or two more fights. But that all being said, I'd still pay to watch it, mm -hmm. and that should say everything to you when you have a number 14 ranked fighter where I could seriously say to myself, I could see him challenging for the title tomorrow. I wouldn't find it crazy. I'd be interested by the style matchup. That's how deep this division is. There are killers up and down, probably in the 20s, uh, good guys. Uh, and it leads into our number one, because these two divisions, very close in weight, but also just in depth. You cannot beat uh, number two, featherweight, or number one, tell them what it is. Number one's lightweight. When we posed this to Twitter, it, overwhelmingly, it was lightweight. We then had to rephrase the question, other than lightweight, what is the most exciting division? Because so many people were just saying, like, you idiots, it's obviously lightweight. Look, Habib is amazing. We want to see him fight Tony Ferguson. At the same time, you have all those intriguing matchups with Conor McGregor. It looks like he's going to fight Cowboy. Fuck, that, that fight alone could headline a pay-per-view as a non-title fight, and people would buy the fuck out of it. 
right? Like, Connor Cowboy is so exciting. You got Ally Aquinta making a run up the division. You know, there is a possibility we see Max Holloway in this division in 2019. And then, you know, if you count in in Brooklyn, we saw Gregor Gillespie look like a goddamn animal again. And, and you know, you were just saying you, you got a guy between 10 and 15 in Zabit in featherweight that you could see fighting for the title this year. Fucking same thing here at lightweight. Could you not see Gregor Gillespie going toe-to-toe with Habib in December of 2019? Because I could. I I think he's one or two fights away from possibly having that. He definitely has to fight more than once or twice a year. But uh, I could certainly see it, and he's probably hovering around 10 right now. Yeah, he's just in that same position as Zabit, where I'd like to see one more win. That's, you know, what have you. I think Kevin Lee is the perfect fight for him. Kevin Lee would be so fun. So one more one more win and then title shot. But even if they gave him the title shot tomorrow, I'm not even really complaining. Nope. And this is a guy ranked in the 10 to 15 range, just like Zabit at featherweight. But that's another thing you bring up. Kevin Lee, Edson Barbosa, Justin Gaethje. Oh. I mean, that's five, six, and seven right there. Oof. This division is fucking loaded with murderers. Whereas, like, you know, I'm looking at the rankings right now, and at welterweight, which used to primarily be my division O choice in the GSP years, you look at their five, six, seven. It's RDA, Robbie Lawler, and Santiago Ponzinibbio. I don't think any of those three will ever be champion again in Robbie Lawler's case, or champion in the future. Whereas Lee Barbosa, Justin Gaethje, would I bet my life savings on them being champion? No, but they're all quality Mm. and on the upswing of their career whereas like Robbie Lawler RDA they're on the downswing of their career uh so to me you know when you just look at these different divisions 155 is so loaded with talent Alexander Hernandez okay he took a tough loss on Saturday but he's still young he could bounce back Dan Hooker Dan Hooker at number 13 Paul Felder Paul fucking Felder Hooker and Felder are guys who Honestly, if they fought, now Habib is an awful style matchup for anyone, but let's pretend Tony Ferguson's the champ of the division. Habib doesn't exist. Tony Ferguson's won, I don't know, 700 fights in a row. He'd really be champion of 155. But Paul Felder, or Dan Hooker, ranked 13th and 14th on a bad day for Tony. I could easily see beating Tony and catching him. That's how fucking tight this division is. When guys rank 13, 14, Gregor Gillespie at 15, you could see them as champion. That, that to me, is insane. Well, and then we're not even mentioning, like, some dudes who are unranked. Like, you know, fucking Olivier Aubon-Mercier, unranked. Gilbert Burns, unranked. Like, those dudes are freaking killers. You know, like, Gilbert Burns was on a tear except for a quick loss to Dan Hooker, who's also on a tear. Like, the, there is so much talent in this division. It is ridiculous yeah that's unbelievable well there you have it folks uh we'll do a quick review here for our top five divisions right now in the ufc bantamweight coming in at number five women's strawweight four three was middleweight two uh men's featherweight and one was lightweight hit us up on our twitter at top turtle mma let us know if you liked our list let us know if you hated our list we're accepting both love and hate feedback Gumby, that about does it from everything I wanted to give our adoring fans. Is there anything else we should mention? How do we want to wrap this up? 
And that's going to do it for another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast on FlowCombat.com. We thank you, the fans, for listening in each and every week. We also want to thank Flow Combat for having us on the mothership. We would not be here without them. And we also wouldn't be here without our sponsors, Sisu Mouthguards, ADK Fightwear, and Sheath Underwear. We thank all of them for their continued support of what we do. We also want to remind you guys that you can follow us on Twitter at TopTurtleMMA. We got a bunch of cool giveaways, prizes, all kinds of fun trivia and other cool things. So you're going to want to check us out there. And that's going to do it. I am Daniel Gumby Vreeland. He is Shockwave Dave Tremonti. And we will see you next week.